Welcome to The Form Guide, inspiring conversations about our mental health and our form. This week we'll be chatting to Carl Simons, Chief Health, Safety and Security Officer of Thames Water, and we'll be talking about his OBE and all things well-being in the workplace. Thanks for joining us. So, Carl Simons, welcome to the Form Guide. This is our LinkedIn Live and podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Rob. Good to be here. Really good to have you. So, what do you reckon, Phil Collins? Were you a fan? Were you a Phil fan? Do you, you, uh, do you... <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, in that era, in the 80s uh, and in the 90s, wasn't it? But generally, the 80s, I did like all Phil's, you know, and he started as a drummer, didn't he? So, you know, and then moved into the singing side. But yeah, yeah, that was a nice song, actually. It did cast me back to the 80s as a kid, you know, growing up. In school. I was in my teenage years then, so yeah, that was good fun, definitely. Yeah, I remember that No Jacket Required album. It was one of the uh, the first LPs that I ever owned, so that always, uh, always stuck with me. So, Carl, welcome. You are um, Carl Simon's OBE, and congratulations on the OBE, and we're going to talk about that. You are Thank cheap. you very much. Very welcome. Very welcome. Really good to see you. You are Chief Health, Safety and Security Officer for Thames Water, and you're a, a, a really well-known and prolific campaigner on helping improve workplaces from a mental health and well-being point of view, and we're, uh, we're going to get into that. So, uh, you know, really good to have a chat with you, and um, we had a good chat on your, uh, your radio show as well not too long ago, didn't we? Oh, yeah, on Men's Radio Station. That was good fun. Um, yeah, I've been doing that for over a year now, and it's uh, it's it's fabulous getting you know people like yourself on, Rob, active campaigners, you know, and uh, from CEOs in major organisations. That's always been a sort of um, since starting it. I guess it's been uh, I've developed as a, uh, a radio presenter more than anything, um, you know, because I do love listening. Um, I, I think. You know, it's it's one of my great qualities. I think the ability to be able to listen, but to deeply listen is is slightly different because a lot of people, whilst listening, have thoughts going through their head. They can't wait to speak. Um, but I actually enjoy the silence of just listening to somebody talking. Um, and I, when you're in a podcast, radio show like that, style environment, it's sort of um, you've got to be able to listen because, as you know, the whole point of getting on guests is you can hear their stories. Yeah, you know, I can see you keeping your mouth shut. All those rapid thoughts running through your head, there, saying, "Right, okay, let us all talk." Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's 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 interesting though, and and the art of listening is is a bit of a forgotten one. And um, what that sparked off with me was the whole clubhouse um, phenomenon. I don't know if you've been onto clubhouse at all. Um, have you checked it out? No, I haven't. No. So, so Clubhouse, it's it's an audio only platform, and you go on there. So you you're literally on your phone. So you, there's no visuals. So it's a bit like live podcasting. Um, and I've done a few gigs on there, not promoted any, but it it, it feels like everybody's trying to talk, and it, it's it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't quite have the intimacy of the podcast that you. And maybe it will get there, but I think it's a bit different with that live thing where you've got panels of people and everyone's got a kind of bit to say. It's a bit strange, uh, but a lot of people are using it. So um, I'm going to do a lot of listening. You're going to do a lot of talking, but we're going to start with the question. And that's the question that I'm sure you're expecting me to ask you. And the, the question I always start with, which is, how are you today? 
and what's your score out of 10? So I always go first mine, as you can see in my background, I'm an eight out of 10, really good form today. And I think I think this week, I, I've been a bit sad over the weekend about my, my loss of fitness because of long COVID and my inability to exercise. But then this week, I've sort of come out of that low period with a, just a sense of getting things ticked off, you know, feeling really productive this week with some exciting work things happening. But how about you, Carl? What's your score today? I would say it's up there, the eight to nine out of 10 at the minute. Um, you know, I'm pleased with where the, uh, you know, I represent Thames Water, as you know, and the organisations made some real good um, advancements forward this past year again, which I'll talk some more about as we carry on. Uh, personally, the families, all of the kids have adapted really well to working from home. They go back to school next week, so they're really excited. You know, Boris's recent announcement kind of really shifted um, everybody upwards in my opinion, in terms of their uh, give everybody a boost. I think the country getting a boost was a really good thing. And also seeing a sort of end in sight, you know, as the vaccination programme kind of hopefully uh, uh, cancels out the volume of coronavirus cases and certainly affecting those most vulnerable. So I guess with the family doing okay, my wife's great. She's gone to work. She's worked throughout. She's away. Um, you know, the kids are good and me personally, I'm in a good space right now. Um, I mean, although my arm is sore from the, uh, the vaccination, right enough. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, but it's a good sore, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. I kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, and I, I've spoke to so many people, obviously now that have had the vaccination and, you know, uh, they, it's a great boost when it yeah. comes. It is, isn't it? Yeah, we're sort of. And, and when did you have yours, Carl? Uh, last Saturday, um, I'm a, I volunteer. I'm a vaccinator down in Bournemouth and Southampton. So um, any vials at the end of the day that are spare usually line up. Um, what happens is, Rob, the uh, all the volunteers are exposed to an inherently uh, escalated level of slight risk yeah because yep. there's so yep. many people coming through and you're doing the cleaning and some of us are vaccinated who are qualified um and so what happens is everybody's name goes into because it's usually to run these centers you need like or you need people what are called patient advocates for those coming through the door you need the yep. vaccinating team and then you need the patient caring team for the aftercare service right um because people like to sit around and make sure nothing's going to happen um and so Roughly, you're talking about 20 to 30 volunteers in any centre of size, yeah. yeah? Um, so everybody's name goes in the, the on the list, and then they line people, and then it's all about um, who's the oldest. Yeah, gets a vaccination first, and I'm not that old, believe it or not. I mean, <laughs> so I've always been pretty much down the list. Uh, but last Saturday, I was kind of shuffled in and said, "Yeah, we've got um, you know," because what happens is the vials for the AstraZeneca. I'm not sure how much you know, but they come in nine. Not yeah. generally eight to ten so you get about nine syringes out of a vial yeah so obviously they don't want to you know once one's open they want to use up the syringes for that so generally the people which i think is a good thing you know when, uh you know i was fortunate enough to get the vaccine on saturday yeah brilliant and good for you and thank you for the volunteering it's an important job I, I was um lucky enough to be invited quite early to get one maybe because i've got a few underlying health conditions or possibly even because of my bipolar disorder actually yeah um but i 
I was really struck by the carnival atmosphere in the vaccination center it, from the people in the in the queue to the people greeting to everybody it just felt like this sense of hope going on which is what it is right we we, we see that light at the end of the tunnel and it's definitely not a bloke holding a torch right I know and it's a shame because uh you know it would have been good to have people at the front saying free hugs but unfortunately we you know we're not allowed to do that still yet Rob <laughs> We're not, Carl. So we should pick up on. We should see right right away. We're going off on tangents, which is brilliant. You know, so my script is out of the window. But so the free hugs. Tell me about the free hugs idea that we 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 discussed this on your radio show. All right. So um, I remember years ago. I think uh, oh, somewhere in the order of about seven or eight years ago, um, I was down in Brighton and I was walking through with my family through the centre. And there were these uh, two young girls um, and they were <clears throat> dressed classically like the 60s style hippie era. And uh, one of them was holding a placard uh, that said free hugs. So, you know, obviously I kind of went over and spoke to them and, um, and got a, a hug. And I tell you what, it was fabulous. Like, and we couldn't stop laughing about it all day, my wife and I, and the kids were getting hugs too. And I thought, isn't that brilliant? You know, what a, what a thing to do in the middle of a high street life. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I think we're missing that, aren't we? It's that physical contact, the oxytocin, the, the, you know, the, the hormone that we get from, from an actual hug. I'm a big hugger. I know you are too. So we, we spoke about the idea that the next major well-being mental health conference that is a big physical event, whether it's Mad World or This Can Happen or Chris Cummings, if you're watching on, uh, on your events, that you and I just have a little stand in the entranceway, um, free hugs. And as the guests, the delegates arrive, me and you are there to, to welcome the, the delegates with a hug. What do you reckon? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm up for it. We'll have to wear dark clothing because obviously, you know, we're hugging a lot of females with the makeup on. You know, <laughs> I don't want to wear a white shirt on that day. Or at yeah. least give advance morning to your missus that... Uh, <laughs> You know, you're going to be hugging a lot of people today. Well, absolutely. Yeah, we can we can do that. So you've heard it's this sort of live TV, this car. We've made a commitment. So conference organisers, we are there for free hugs. Right. Um, so looking at that, so, you know, you're an eight or a nine out of ten. Um, I, I want this. We got some good comments on the chat. Lynn would like a hug. So, yes, Lynn, you are there. You've got one. Um, we there's this concept of a perfect 10 day. And for me, it's a little bit of an ideal. Um, it might happen if all the stars are in alignment and everything is going well. But what would a perfect 10 out of 10 form day look like for you, Carl? Um, so professionally, um, I, I'm very fortunate enough to have them every day within Thames Water. And now it's become the isolated um, occurrences where we don't hit it. So what I mean by that is we measure something in the company called perfect days. Um, and it means uh, that there's been no physical or psychological uh, health interventions. So we have mental health first aiders, we have physical first aiders across the company. And that results, any harm results in an intervention by them. Um, and a perfect day for me. So I know last month we had 15 of those. So this isn't about actual injury or illness occurring. This is some much before that where somebody has become either unwell from a, uh, from a work-induced illness, high levels of stress, anxiety caused by work or uh, plasters required 
um, from an injury perspective. So any mental or physical first aid intervention in the workplace. And when that happens every day, see, this is the thing. When you're setting goals and targets in organisations, you know, you may have long-term aspirations around benchmarking, about where you want to be, but really putting the people to work safely and sending them home safe and well at night is the holy grail in my world. Um, and every day that goes by where that happens, that's a perfect day for me. Um, on a personal perspective, you know, just being able to tuck my kids in at night, um, you know, that, that for me, I'm a, very much a family man. And, you know, uh, I, uh, you know, I draw strength from the family um, to deal with the ups and downs of modern life, as many yeah. of us do. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, the, any disruption, you know, people talk about work-life balance, Rob. And I always say to my team that, you know, there's going to be moments throughout your career in your life where, you know, something may go wrong at home, bereavement um and some unsettling no matter what it is moving house even mm. you know some unsettling disruption that can drop the negativity in that personal life and likewise there could be something in the workplace you know from a side of uh who leadership um boss management uh, making redundant <clears throat> that can drop that side yeah but as long as one area is stable then generally you can get through it and keep your you know, your shape and, and generally get through that one that's dropping. Yeah. It's when things go wrong of both, it can become a very dark place very quickly. So if we think about what's happening in the minute and over the past year in society, you know, a lot of people push to work from home and that's created a lot of stresses in the home life, mm. you know, and that's happened to people naturally. On the flip side, we've had people then who have actually not only had to deal with working from home, but then losing their job as a result of, you know, um, furlough not being increased or, you know, uh, organisations struggling. Yeah. And that has caused incredible stresses. And what we're seeing is levels of, you know, um, mental health within people diminishing quite strongly over the last year. Not for everyone. For some people, the, the early days of, being sent to work from home has been incredibly refreshing, you know, and I recall going out for the early walks with the family yeah. um, in the uh, early last year and thinking there was no cars on the road and it was like stepping back in time to the 70s, you know, when we used to go out for walks. But um, yeah, so the perfect day for me is everything going well at home and uh, everything ticking along in the workplace. Yeah, fantastic. And Carl, I love the fact that when I asked you that question, you your first thought was the safety of others um, and the perfect the perfect day in uh, in your workplace, which is you know a testament for you to you. Um, we're going to get into some of the stuff that you raised there, and, and and certainly keen to explore a little bit about this pandemic and why it's different to the the first one. But we're going to do the quick fire round first, and this is something that um, you, you can't prepare for. So. Um, and it's all around if mental health were a what would it be first thing that comes into your head okay so yeah. if mental health were an animal Carl what would it be um my default answer would be uh my dogs because they're next to me yeah um but that would be an easy kind of get out in there you know the puppy love and the un unquestionable response but I know yep. it's a quick fire round right yeah but I would say, you know, I mean, let's do something different. So um, maybe a bee. A bee. The mental health bee. Why a bee, Carl? 
<laughs> right, okay. So if you think, um, <clears throat> when I worked in the Middle East, um, out on the site, we used to put a bit of water out next to the canteen, right, on the yeah. side. And one of the reasons for that was I had so many bee stings occurring across my sites, yeah, that, I mean, and it was always in the canteen areas. And the bees were trying to get at the water, not at the food. They were trying to get at the water, yeah, right. because it was the Middle East and it was hot on sites, yeah. And they were fighting with the, the site guys to be able to get the water. So one of the smart um, uh, Indian fellows that worked with me on the sites at the time, he said, look, we just need to put water out for the bees. And I, I kind of said, really? He said, yeah, we've tried it. So we did that across all the sites and the bees would come because they have to feed the hive, right? Which is like their family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean. And if they can't do that, they get all stressed. Right. And bees have poor mental health if they get all stressed. Yeah. They do, believe it or not. Yeah. Okay, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, and I mean, but the bees, we stopped all the injuries as a result of dealing with the uh, mental health of the bees. To be able to, they didn't want interest in food. It was getting that water, and they would all line up around the pot. Uh, it was a little sort of pot of water. It didn't need much, but it, all bees around it. And every site you went to, everybody, and they worked in harmony. Yeah, everybody coexisted at the canteen. Yeah. The bees had where they went to, and they would all take the water, and they would go away, and they would go back to the hive. Amazing. What a, what a great stuff. I mean, I, yeah, I love bees and that whole kind of hive um, mentality is, is, is really cool. It's, it's something we think about a lot with the form score in terms of the circles of support that we put in. But I just love that idea of something very simple, looking after the health of our bees that then enables a little bit of harmony. I think there's, um, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So yeah, thank you for sharing that one. So I think I can guess your answer on the next one, Carl. Um, but if mental health were a colour, what would it be? Oh, right. Okay. So red. <laughs> it's got to be at the minute. For those of you that, that maybe uh, are hearing this and not seeing it, I have got my Welsh jersey on at the minute. Just uh, it was the first thing that fell out the wardrobe this morning. You know, yeah. I was thinking, who am I on with today? And uh, I thought, oh, Rob. All right. Okay. I'm sure Rob saw the result of the weekend. Indeed. Um, anyway, so, uh, and I know he's got his form score background that goes red if he's feeling a bit uh, less than good about things. What do you mean, you mean, right. that, one? You mean that you can't, one? If I say too much about the rugby, he's going to turn to the red. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I, I always, when you um, talk about mental health, yeah, in my head, uh, I think mental fitness. And, you know, when I look at, you know, resilience and things that are a big part of how we manage our mental fitness, you know, we take the knocks, the daily knocks of life, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and work. We we take those all the time, and our resilience comes from the strength, etc., of, of what we are, our experience and what we do. Um, but in terms of you know, yeah, red would be mine because obviously it signifies where I'm from. It you mean something I'm passionate about and the fire in my belly to make a real difference. I love that the fire in your belly to make a difference. That's that's a really good good way of thinking of it, igniting that fire. I love it, and we're going to talk about that passion in a second. So if mental health were a food, Carl, what would it be? All right, okay. Uh, I'd have to go towards something. I'm a Taurus, right? So my daughter is very much, she's 16 now, next month. And she's very much into the star signs. And she says, Dad, you always know you're a Taurus because of the way you go about the fridge. 
and you mean so to to you know if I was this it would have to be pizza because you know I think it's you know first of all pizza does a number of things right yeah I mean it is a food but it's much more than that there's lots of ingredients that come together to make a pizza yep. and in mental health there's lots of things that come together right now I'm I'm working off the cuff here but yep. also it brings my family together on a Friday night because we have a Domino's yeah, so I love nothing else than when we all get excited about something that's just, you know, we can have anything to eat, but we get excited about pizza night. Yeah. yeah. Um, and finally, it makes me feel good because I'm a Taurus and I love eating. Yeah. Now, I have to exercise <laughs> a lot to be able to counteract that. Otherwise, I mean, I went, I went into, um, uh, when I started vaccinating, um, uh, I'm working at the centre uh, after qualifying, um, I went to put on my suit trousers, right? Because one of the, because I worked for St. John's then, isn't it? Yeah. as a volunteer. And one of the things, the uniform is they sent out the t-shirts and my my top half's kind of okay, you know, it hasn't changed very much, yep. you know? And when I went to put my trousers on though, I couldn't get them on wrong. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And so I had to buy uh, the next size up. And for those of the girls who might know, it's 30, 32, 34, 36, guys go up in twos. Yep. Um, so I had to buy an extra couple of inches to be able to. So that that kind of gave me a kickstart into uh, you know back into the physical physical activity side as well. Mm. Well, so, yeah, yeah. Pizza, I'm, I'm, pizza I'm, Rob. There you go. Pizza. I'm with I'm with you on both of those things because um, you know my inability to exercise has caused a, a, a expansion of my waistline as well, Carl. And I'm looking forward to getting back on my bike to address uh, that. But I, I think the pizza is a brilliant one, and I love that idea of bringing the family together because we have Friday night pizza as well, and I really look forward to it. Um, so I like that one. So um, if mental health were a song, what would it be? Oh, my, right. My default quickfire answer is bread of heaven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just because I like your uh, background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the end of this, it's going to turn 10 out of 10 red. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll, do, I'll put mine up. <laughs> yes. uh, um, no, again, you know, I love... Um, uh, right, okay, so there's a bit of background to this, actually, when I start thinking about it on the cuff again. Um, so in Wales, right, some of the best singers were always the bad boys. And yeah. the reason for that, right, is in Wales, the punishment was to go and do the choir. And when I was growing up, you know, a naughty, naughty young Welsh lad, as most of us were, yeah. you know, um, mischievous more than anything, yeah. uh, you know, so ended up in the choir, Right on the because you had to do it lunchtime, so choir practice, and then obviously you know so there was like lots of boys in the choir. That's why the Welsh male boys choir and everything they're so good because it's, it was instrumental in Wales. You played rugby and you sang in the choir, yeah. and often you know I played rugby in the school and um, you know, I mean and late, later in the military, but you know I was also a good singer because I was in the choir, you know. So that that's what you get. You get these big burly lads who are great singers. And as well, because they've grown up in the choirs. So yeah, brilliant. brilliant. Because of the choir. I love I love that concept you know, of a, a slightly mischievous lad that gets sent off to the choir, and then there's this amazing bunch of uh, of singers that come out as a result. Um, yeah. Excellent, Ooh. great choice. Um, final one on the quick fire round. If mental health were a sound, what sound would it be? Silence. Oh, I love it. Why silence? Definitely, because I think. Um, it's those moments where you are reflecting that really are the times where you learn the most. A lot of people learn through speaking, right? I, I'm a great believer, like, you know, take this quick fire round, yeah? 
you mean you're thinking so many things thoughts going through your head um and and at that moment you're creating as you are speaking right yeah. so that was me in creativity mode and i do bounce off that with the team but you always need that time to step away reflect yeah. what is happening and i i you mean in the moments where you are you mean i'm not about sleeping but the moments where you take those that time to reflect and often we don't do enough of that yeah. Um, and I think, you know, because we're always busy in our thoughts nowadays about something. But this is why mindfulness took off. Right. So because it's <laughs> concentrating on one thing and one thing only. Yeah. And I like I like when I get a chance to reflect and really start to. And it helps my mental health when I'm thinking about, right, what do I need to do? So I'm, I'm looking at maybe writing an article or I'm looking at doing a topic or I'm creating, you know, and after I have the surge of discussions with the team and emotions, yeah. I like to then come back and just sit and start to think and reflect. So the sound yeah. of silence would be mm. my sound. I think that's a really interesting answer. Um, and you, you're right, I agree with you. And there's a few things that spring to mind there. One, you know, I talk a lot about the gift of self-reflection with respect to answering that question, how are you today? You know, what's driving it for you? Is are you, you know, are you balancing stress? Have you slept well? Have you exercised? What are your connections like? But it all starts with that moment of giving yourself some space to think about it, because then you can work out what's driving it. But the other bit that um, sprung to mind when you were talking there was the way we've been working through the pandemic is is limiting that silence, limiting that uh, reflective time in certain cases, because we're going from one Zoom or Teams call to the next one with very few breaks, with very, very little space. And I think interesting to hear your perspectives on this in terms of how we counteract that in the workplace. But have you noticed that that's the way a lot of people have been working and how those issues have been coming up? It is, yeah. The, the, I think when I reflect on the pandemic over the last year, um, coronavirus has made um, working from home socially acceptable. Mm. And that's a huge step forward in yeah. a positive way. Many of the tech companies in Silicon Valley uh, started a movement around this a number of years ago. But big business, industrial business, struggled with the concept. Um, certainly old school leaders struggled with the concept of how could people possibly be still working if they're at home, right? And what was happening was, you know, you know, people didn't go into, they could work from home. They had the technology to do it, but they felt the need to be at the table because the perception of others just thinking, and their boss just thinking, well, where are they? They're not here, you know, they're sat at home. They must be chilling out with the family or the dogs or doing something else other than work. Mm. And the reality is this has really fast forwarded our evolution as a species towards a much more um, acceptable form of, of not being on the road all the time and not being uh, in the office for no reason just to attend meetings because the corporate world has developed into a meeting society and lots of companies have tried to break that philosophy within their business and and failed miserably and struggled with it and this has fast forward us to be able to do that and i think making it socially acceptable so now good leaders will be you know will be saying you know to their to their teams that are around the table with them why are you here? Why didn't you dial in? And great leaders wouldn't even be in the room themselves. Yeah. You know, and that's the difference is the great leaders. So my team are all dying to meet up, right? Because we are, um, 
we're a, a safety a critical organization. We're key workers, right? And uh, within Thames, and we're we're working all the time throughout the pandemic. And I yeah. go out to sites, yeah, to be able to do audits and speak to teams, etc. But I haven't met with my team collectively because I don't feel that it's essential to do that. And that resistance, you know, uh, in my view of great leadership, is that's not essential. Me going out on the sites to do certain audits is, and I only do the essential stuff because that's the government guidelines. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, my hope is that as we come through this pandemic, we retain the good stuff about choice of how we work, um, and then we rebuild the, the 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 levels of connections with our employees, and I guess help them with that self-discipline of how we work and making sure we get recovery time in the day etc um we've got my little lad here do you want to go and watch the tv for a little bit yeah good good man good man and um so we're, we're now like half you know 30 minutes into this car and i've not asked you a proper question because this there's been so fascinating on the what's come out of the quickfire round but i wanted to ask you um and, and, and really recognize the contribution you make. And, and you've recently received an OBE for those services to, to, to mental health. Um, and you know, we, we also recognized you as an ally to the, the cause as part of the Inside Out Leaderboard and, and uh, delighted to be yeah. able to do that. Um, but why are you so passionate about it? What is it that drives you to invest so much personal um, capital and time into helping create mentally healthier workplaces? And that's workplaces, not just in your own, but but far beyond. So what, what is it that drives you, Carl? So I, you know, I've, I've my entire, uh, pretty much my entire life has been, uh, my entire career has been dedicated to the preservation of life. Um, the military is about prevention of, of death. You know what I mean? It's about preserving life as opposed to taking it. Um, and most people think you go to shoot, uh, shoot, guns and shoot people but in reality we're sent into conflicts to protect those who are most vulnerable and innocent and when i left the military after you know serving 13 years and multiple conflicts as a soldier um moving into still doing a role uh, that involved protecting people from injury and illness was was a natural fit for me um and even though ptsd was around obviously uh, has been around forever really. And I saw a lot of it in the military um, as a result of the conflicts. But I also see a lot of it within business um, in not such a harrowing way, but also the impact of, you know, poor leadership, poor management and uh, decisions that are made for people uh, that don't really, um, not with the best interests and not with a full understanding. And I've worked quite hard throughout my career to make sure that organizations that I'm in create a culture of care and one of understanding that actually allows people to thrive in the workplace. Um, and I guess, you know, if, if that's what drives me, I've naturally through my career, um, and certainly over the last 10 years in particular, as I've been in, in, in leadership positions, I've been able to then expand outwards onto things like, you know, pro bono work that allow me to do a lot more in terms of influence in society and future of the workplace. So, for, for instance, the mental health um, radio show that I run, 
be um, a lecturer at Cambridge University as well. Uh, so that's the future leaders. Um, that's the School of Engineering on, on health, safety and security there. Um, I'm a, a, a non-executive director on water and sanitation for the urban poor. These are some of the poorest cities in the world that we advise governments on and provide, provide water and sanitation, which is a basic fundamental of life. You know, if you talk about mental health, yeah. you can't get access to water. It certainly does affect everything. Um, yeah. So the, there's lots of things that I do that, that have really allowed me to sustain my passion in helping people. And and I guess the, the fact that mental health and well-being is such a, a, a core part of, of, of what you're doing now is probably a testament to how important that is in, the, in terms of that preservation of life or certainly maximising quality of life opportunity. Have you seen that rise in terms of the importance of that over the last few years? Yeah, I think as sports personalities, celebrities, royals have started speaking more openly about their mental health and challenges that they face. Uh, so too as um, society and society is in business. So, you know, any leader that's not thinking nowadays about cultural evolution of their organization, you know, to be able to affect the behavior of people within their organization, because let's face it, culture is attitude, behavior is visible, you can see it. Um, so that in turn has really manifested the visibility and profile across yeah. really society. I, I guess, you know, organizations are really stepping up now, taking this far more seriously. And in turn, it is creating better working environments for everyone. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and when we first met, uh, I remember it was uh, a conference uh, we were both speaking at, and, and you were also showcasing your virtual reality training, um, yep. which uh, I was fortunate enough to to have a look at, have a demo of, which was very powerful, you know, from the first person perspective of somebody that is spiraling downwards with a mental health challenge. And ultimately, how they got some support with a, a you know, a, um, and an intervention at the end. But that's that was you know, pretty innovative at the time and still is really. Um, and you do a whole bunch of stuff in Thames Water around you know, really drilling into the impact and measurement of, of you, the things that you put in place for mental health and well-being. Can you give us a flavour of the, the sort of journey that you've been on and how you see that going forward? Well, there's so there's so many. Um, we call them waves of initiatives hmm. that have been put in over many years that have affected the volume of illness. You know, in the last six, seven years at Thames, we've had circa a 90% reduction in injured illness as a result of work-induced illness from physical and psychological health. And um, that comes as a result of the initiatives that have been created and developed to affect all manner of physical and psychological areas within, within us. Um, but if, if you know, if I was to call out um, a few that really made the big difference, um, I would say, first of all, from a leadership perspective, um, the education levels around the executive table and the leadership top, top 50 to 100 in any organisation, that's the areas where you have to concentrate, you know, because that's setting the tone for the company. Yeah. Um, but the, the next thing is um, the ability to uh, ask the right 
questions at the right time. And by that, I mean, most organizations still aren't asking the fundamental basic question when somebody goes off absent. Is it work or non-work related? Now, the ability to ask that question needs to come from culturally, somebody will answer it as to how mature your organization is. If they fear reprisal, because maybe it's poor line management or it's harassment within the workplace or anything that's caused them to go off and then they say, oh, I've just got a, um, a case of diarrhea or flu yeah, or, or cold. Mm -hmm. I mean, because they're masking the real issue. It's because the organization hasn't created an environment where people feel safe to be able to call out. But once they get to a point where they can ask that question, you see many organizations, injury has become acceptable to have an investigation. Anytime somebody's off work as a result of injury, there's an investigation, there's an executive review, and there's learning to prevent a recurrence. Yeah. Well, we should be doing the same, and we do in terms the same thing for illness. If somebody goes off unwell with work-related illness, there needs to be an investigation, there needs to be an executive review, and there needs to be learning. Why? Because there's a legal and moral obligation to prevent a recurrence. You can't have somebody just sat at home and then coming back into the same environment where nothing's changed. Yet so many organizations are still allowing this to happen. So within terms, that executive review, uncomfortable at the beginning, about six or seven years ago, we put it in, very uncomfortable for the executives in the first one. Can we talk about it? Well, it's, it's health. Can we talk about it? Well, of course you can. You need to have the conversation. Are you going to prevent the recurrence? Yeah. And we helped steer them through that journey. And now it's accepted that you know the right conversations will be happening. That in turn has affected how seriously the organization takes it because the leadership takes it seriously. It's really interesting, isn't it? And you 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 touched on psychological safety, and I guess that's what we're talking about here. It's it's people feeling psychologically safe enough to be able to be authentic and honest about what is driving that that period off work. And then the organization has the information to do that review and to make change. And and presumably that takes time to build up that level of trust with employees. Definitely. If you, you mean, you can't do everything overnight. And yeah. one of the things that, you know, that I've presented to many different organizations over the years is how, um, how to build a mental health framework, or let's say health and well-being framework that tackles physical and psychological health in your work workplace, regardless of whether you're an SME or whether you're a large multinational organization, it's pretty much irrelevant. You are dealing with the same fundamentals. What are your suite of health performance indicators, we call them HPIs, that you need to monitor and measure? And how then do you tackle leadership, competency, engagement, communications, you know, so that you're creating safe and healthy working environments through affecting the organizational psychology, through affecting the individuals that work and build up that organizational psychology. Which, again, I can see why, and, and I would echo this in, in terms of the advice that I give to organisations, starting with that top-level leadership group and, and getting their, their buy-in to this journey is important, isn't it? Without a shadow of a doubt. You have to. You have to. And it's for people like me within organisations that work with that executive team to be able to get them to a position where they have the, um, the competency levels, so the understanding which enables them to have the confidence. Because if you affect competency, then you can affect confidence in their ability to have those conversations. People will not talk about a subject unless they feel confident they're not going to look silly. So if you were asking me now about you know, tax 
Because I know you used to work, work in tax, didn't you, Rob? I did indeed. If you started having a conversation with me now about that, I wouldn't be able to talk to you about it. I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about it because I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. In reality, you don't need to have people having a degree and having a, a really massive education about uh, mental health with the, a finance director. I mean, my finance director at the minute, the CFO, he's great. He likes mindfulness and he's he's you know invests in in health and well-being across the company. Why? Because he understands it. Why does he understand it? Because we we talk about it and we've worked within the company on it. You know, and that's the bit. You don't need to be an expert. You just need to influence that understanding of leadership. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it is a human issue, and we can do that. I think there's there's a point around. You, know, you 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 are in a very senior position in the organisation, so you do have some influence. I think, yeah, you know, somebody who might be a well-being manager, and that's the sort of top-level well-being person in an organisation, might have a bit of a tougher job. But I think it still is putting that case forward, isn't it? And and getting the buy-in from those that are potentially making the decisions on budget and comms and and all the rest of it. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but also, it's the, the connections. Um, I always say to the organization, you know, listen to the silent majority, not the, just the vocal minority. Because if we listen to the vocal minority, often, if I did that, I'd be listening to a select group of individuals that I engage with on a regular basis. Yeah. So things like your surveys give you the ability to then turn, if you're a well-being manager in a smaller organization, or I mean, um, the company's just starting out, get the survey done and ask yeah. the question. Does, you know, does the organization take health and well-being seriously? Get the feedback. And then you're able to go, well, here's your ammunition for here's what I think we should do, but here's the reason why. And that's the bit. If you can get that reason why through that engagement survey feedback, then you're already opening the door to the investors and the purse string holders. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's good advice. Looking forward, um, you know, next 12 months, what do you see in terms of any emerging risks um, and, and opportunities, I guess, as well around the mental health and well-being agenda in the workplace? OK, so um, I'm glad you asked this. So I recently wrote an article, which I haven't published yet, about the emerging risks that we are seeing at the minute. Um, and uh, uh, these are hidden risks that aren't being talked about effectively yet. Um, and the, so to give you an idea, um, one, for example, is the physical separation between the uh, home and the workplace has diminished for so many of us. Now then, now for some of us, um, for example, me when I'm working at home a little bit more than I would normally do at the minute, or for a permanent home worker that's in, say, a HR position or finance position that you I mean they will be dealing with their normal colleagues on the Zoom calls and then they'll be getting a break and they'll be going to see the family. And there's still not much change in that. Okay. Mm-hmm. For somebody who's in a frontline facing, customer facing role, such as uh, IT professional call center rep, um, a customer call center in utilities, electricity, gas, water, they generally are on the end of receiving end of negative customer calls because somebody's phoning up not to say well done for providing me with water or electricity this past month it's generally a bill issue or it's a a supply issue or something that's got them a little bit unhappy so those negative calls now in between the breaks normally they would either if it was an uncomfortable conversation they would put their hand up for a supervisor or if it was uh, they were going for a break and they've had a series of negative calls they would have a chat with a 
line manager or they would talk to one of their colleagues a chance to let it out uh, before they get back in the game with the headset back on. Yeah. Or, and we have then the final uh, real big separation barrier, which is that drive home where you leave the work behind you, you get in the car, you mean the radio's on, and then you're looking forward to what's coming next. Oh, I'm going to see the family. Oh, I'm going to see the dogs. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm going to go through the door. And by the time you walk through that door, generally you, you're kind of in a different mode. You're saying, oh, here's my safe zone, my family, and things are refreshed. These individuals now are actually coming off those calls in the break, take the headset off and going immediately confronted to the family. And the family see not the fun mummy or daddy coming in through the door after a day at work, a little bit tired, but chuffed to see them happy, lighting up the room. They see the negative chronic effects of long-term uh, working from home in negative environments. So yeah. I think organizations need to start thinking about how they actually deal with those in frontline uh, customer call center roles at home facing bombardment of negative calls and how that's immediately impacted longer term on the family that see them directly and immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense, it, it does. It does indeed. And, and, you know, we talk, we talk a lot about using that commute time that we, we don't have anymore to actually put a buffer in between home and work. And it could be just as simple as just go, going for a 10 minute walk. Couldn't it? Because you, you, you have a boundary, you have a buffer, you can decompress, you can process a little bit. But you're right, I think we do need to find those the, the way to create those touch points for people that are dealing with negative things as part of their job. Because that, that would be just that, that conversation with a colleague, with a supervisor, with whoever, just to offer a bit of support. Whereas that can just build and build up if you're just face the screen all day, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm... I'm trying to think, what do I call it at the minute? Um, you know, because you can't call it dealing with the negative calls, you know, but that somehow we need to brand it to be able to show people, ah, oh, that's you, you've got this, we've got this in our company. Yeah. And often I find if you brand things, then people can, oh, right, it's this, you yeah. know, that's what it is. I know what I've got, you know? Yeah, I'll give that a bit of thought and I'll uh, we won't call it. We won't call it Simon's syndrome. You know, but generally, I mean, yeah. if we brand it, then people can latch on and say, oh, how are we tackling this? Yeah. You know, for our high profile yeah. negative call receiving individuals, yeah. we need to do this. Yeah, because it's then a thing, it's a known thing, and then you apply it yes. to the own. Yeah, absolutely. Let's work out what that is. Answers on a postcard, please, everyone listening in. Um, so um, we're coming to the end of our time, and this this time just goes through so quickly, chat to you, Carl. Um, I just wanted to talk about the OBE. How did that feel to be recognised for the, the work you do? Oh, God, uh, very humbling, Rob, very overwhelming, and uh, a bit unreal, if I'm mm. honest. So, you know, when the... Um, uh, and it was a bit of disbelief as well because normally it would arrive in a very official letter I found out afterwards um, but I got an email <laughs> off a, a NY21 email inbox and I thought what's this and I opened it and my immediate kind of rush of emotion to say what you are kidding I can't believe this and then it was disbelief so it was like nah this is a joke you know why would they send me an email um, so <laughs> There was a lovely letter inside the email, but you know, I thought so. So I phoned the number um, on the letter, and I got through to the cabinet office and um, to the honours section. And and you know, they said, "Oh yeah, congratulations! You you've won. Um, you know, you've been awarded 
recommended by the Prime Minister um, to the Queen, and you know, if the Queen says yes, then you'll you'll be officially appointed. And I said, right, okay, all right. So the next day, I woke up and I phoned uh, a different number to the central office and asked to be put through to the honours section. Yeah. Because and when I, you know, because I just still didn't believe it. Like, so when I got <laughs> put through, it was the same girl on the phone. Oh, hi, hi, Carl. Hi, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still real. <laughs> it's still real. Like, oh no. <laughs> and then I wanted to get somebody else just to just to verify it. I didn't want to ask her. I'm sure I phoned up again the following week. It was it was awful, but it was all because it's not you know it. You mean um, no matter how uh, you mean no nobody. Nobody doing this job thinks they're important. I, I certainly yeah. don't. You know, you, you get out of bed and go to work and do your best every day. And, you know, Anton Deck have OBs and people in David Walliams. And that's why even my kids were like, ah, really? How cool? Anton Deck have OB? Who are you? You know, so it was like, you know, yeah. really funny in, in the house as well. You know, but everybody's really, uh, you know, really chuffed. And the worst thing was they said, you can't say anything. Yeah. You can't tell your mum. And I was like, what? On the phone? What do you mean I can't tell my mum? And they're like, ah, you can't. You're not allowed until the embargo was up until the, you mean, the 31st. So I was on the phone telling my dad on the, you mean, uh, several hours before the announcement. And I got told two weeks in advance, you know, because <laughs> you have to play the game. And they said, you know, you can't tell your family members. Uh, yeah, really? of course. <laughs> okay. But I, I can I can totally relate to that email coming through, and you'd think, well, this wouldn't normally be an email, surely, and you just question it, right? Yeah. But um, congratulations, you know, it's um, well deserved for, for for all you do, and and great to see your work recognised in that way. Um, one one more question for you. Um, I'm I'm trying to curate and collect some golden nuggets for well-being. And so I've decided to start asking my, my guests on this show, what is your one well-being nugget? The one thing that you could share that is good for uh, managing your well-being and, and others could grab onto? I think if you're, if you're talking about, um, I, I would split it into two, Rob. Um, for the workplace, I would always say it's not the physical or psychological issue a person may face that prevents them thriving at work. It's the environment in which they are placed. Yeah. So that covers so many things. You know, um, I chair the disability group within Thames Water, you know, and that deals with senses, sight, sound, you know, physical ailments. And we have representatives across the company. And it's all about listening and what steps we can take. But again, it's not the disability that prevents them thriving at work. You know they can overcome that it's the environment in which they place and good yeah. companies recognize that from a personal perspective i would say you know it's got to be uh, self family and friends in that order if you don't look after yourself you know physically and psychologically emotionally you know then you know you're already letting your family down anyway you know the family are there as a support framework and a massive part of my life but i know first and foremost I've got to keep myself fit because I like mm. eating, you know, I've got to do exercise and it may sound very oh, exercise. Yeah. I've got to do exercise. I've got to control what I eat because I'm in my late forties now, you know, and I can't fit in my clothes too well anymore, but you know what I mean? And I, I've, you mean, but in doing so healthy body, healthy mind, you know, as an ex military guy, I didn't used to worry about it so much because the army just drilled it into you. You mean three squares a day and work out. I mean, but it's so, so true. 
So I think if you deal with yourself first and you set time aside and you do things that you like and enjoy, as well as things that you need to do, there's some stuff we need to do, you know, uh, like not eat too much, etc. Um, but then the family, you know, that allows you then the catalyst to get yourself right and say, right, family. Uh, for me, that's, that's so important. And then friends, right? At the minute, we've become a little bit lazy in terms of reaching out to our friends. And I watch my daughter and uh, in awe of my daughter, the way she deals with her friendship group at the minute. They're on calls every night and they, they do all sorts of things. They play Minecraft on a call and then they're doing something else. Then they'll have a, you know I mean, but they're always working hard to come up with new ideas to connect with their friends. And I think the adults, we've become lazy and we can take a few lessons from our younger generation who are brilliant at connecting electronically with their friends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I I, I love both of those. And um, yeah, I think they're, they're, they're great nuggets. And you're right, we could work a bit harder at uh, keeping in touch with our friends. The Form Score app is what we're trying to do to help notice when a friend might need a check-in. So um, yeah, right. for anybody that wants to uh, check that out, please do have a look. Carl, you've been such a good guest. Um, I could talk to you for, for hours on this. Thank you for joining us. You're actually uh, my first man as well. This is episode number eight and, and you are the first man. Um, I was saving that slot for you. So very, thank, very privileged. Very thank privileged. You, thank you be. for representing our, our gender. Um, <laughs> so, so next up on the form guide, we have uh, another man, which is uh, Andrew Tarver, who is CEO of Jigsaw XYZ. Um, and um, Tava and I are going to talk about bipolar in advance of well bipolar week um, so that's going to be 9 a.m next week so please do uh, do listen in then and Carl thank you so much loved it Rob thank you